0: Hello and welcome to Bible Marathon. We're all about learning how to read the Bible, about spiritual gifts and giving proper defense and explanation for what we believe as Christians. The goal is to progress with joy in the faith and without further ado, let's get into the word.
1: Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you, God, for just everything. We're so grateful. Thank you for life. Thank you that we're healthy. Thank you because we have food to eat, we have clothes, we have shelter, we have everything that we need. We're so grateful, God. Thank you for the opportunity to gather today with other children, our siblings, other children of God. Thank you for just the privilege we have to actually be together and just your word that we can actually do that without being afraid of being you know, arrested of, of persecution we're just so grateful oh god god we pray that even as we search the word today and we learn we pray that you will help our hearts to be open to your word that today we'll place value on your word and would we'll, would we'll, we'll trust in everything you're teaching us today and everything you're doing in our lives in the name of jesus oh god we pray that even for our teacher, that even has he teaches today, that you were given the right things to say and that he will say exactly what you want him to say and that the words that will come out of his mouth today will be useful and just transform lives today. Thank you, God, for everything that you do. you just name we pray. Amen. Amen.
2: All right. So I'm super excited, like I said, to see a lot of you. So because I'm seeing some of you after a long time, I think it's a good idea to do a recap but let's start with a scripture so i need someone to read philippians chapter 3 from verse 10 if you don't have a bible grab one um if you don't still have one to grab just wait a little bit and i'll put up scripture on the screen but i need someone to help me read um philippians three ten. if you're there let me know and by the way those of you who are on Mixelar, I have not forgotten you. Hi, I see Arise Oluashio. I see China. Hi to both of you. All right. Who's going to read?
1: I'm there. All
2: right. Go ahead.
3: Philippians 3.10. I've... All I want is to know Christ and the power of his rising from death, risen from death. I want to share in Christ's suffering and become like him in his death.
2: Praise God. See, so Paul, Paul is talking He has been saying a whole lot of stuff before, talking about he wants to be found in, you know, apart from the law, having a righteousness that comes from Christ alone, not from what he can do. And he goes on to say, my goal, my desire, my earnest desire is to know him, who is him, Jesus Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. So Christian life, Can be summarized or summarized um, as one of fellowship and knowledge. It's an unending cycle of fellowship and knowledge. What that means is the more you um, learn about God, the more it influences how you worship Him. And the more you worship, more you are drawn to know more about him it's an unending cycle and the the the, the healthiest christian life if you are checking yourself to know where am i in the faith which is a good thing to do you know you know in in um in medicine and i'm happy there are a lot of doctors here or um prospective doctors you know in medicine there's something called vital signs some of you have heard this before but basically vital signs are those things that a medical practitioner will check to know that you are operating normally. Like there's a, the, you have, who can tell me some of the things they check when they check vital signs? Some of you should know this thing. If you don't answer it, if some, if some people don't admit themselves.
3: Temperature, uh, just your leave temperature it all right.
2: Yeah, blood pressure. What else? Temperature. Pulse
3: rate.
2: Yeah, checking pulse. All right. Respiratory rate. See, this, this is how you know someone that is in med school respiratory rates the way they are saying it you should pay attention all right so they check all these things and what did they do with the information they would either say okay let's go forward to the next stage which is probably why are you here or there's another extreme response they call er <laughs> I say take this person something is wrong why because the vital signs give information about the state of a person and it's the same way we can see the Christian life. Some people are hemorrhaging in their Christian walk. Like they are really in trouble. They have their vital signs are high. What's the worst high blood pressure? What's the blood pressure rate that or blood pressure, there's not a blood pressure rate, sorry. What would be the highest blood pressure that you would see as a medical practitioner and say, ah, this one needs help? I don't even know, is it 100? 160,
3: sixty, one twenty, or one eighty, one twenty. So if it's going down, you say ah,
2: something is wrong with this person. Many of, the problem is that we are living the Christian life, and the Christian life is purely super, is purely spiritual. So while we have physical you know, implements and gadgets to check blood pressure and all of those things, how do you check the state of a person's Christian world? Uh, John gives us an example. John says, by your love walk. So John John basically teaches we can know how healthy you are as a Christian mm-hmm. if we check your heartbeat of love. That's, that's his mindset, right? But, but there are other things to check. There are other things to look at when you look at a person's spiritual health. And one of those things is their knowledge. What do they know about God? Because... A lot of people offer what what uh, the Bible calls strange fire. You want to worship God. You do it your own way. You want to have a relationship with God and you come on your own terms. And that is terrible. A lot of Christians are falling into that trap. And one of the things you don't want to do is fall into a trap of thinking that you are okay when you are not. Like God wants you to be honest enough to say, I have problems and I want to be better. And that's the whole point of why we are doing everything we do here on BMG. The ultimate goal is for us to know Christ and ultimately to make him known. And they want to know him in such a way that we have a relationship with him. Because it's one thing to just have head knowledge of Jesus, but do we really know him? Can we say we've, we've, you know, there's a way you can know somebody without seeing them. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in like, maybe... It happened recently, but let's say you've been in like a long distance relationship, right? And that's all you've never met this person physically once, but you've been calling, you've been texting, you've been doing video calls, you've been doing everything. The moment you see that person in real life, one thing will happen you will very much feel like I know this person, you will not even feel like you yeah, are just meeting them for the first time. And that happened to me during this past month um like i've been meeting a lot of people virtually for a very long time and you know talking different people here and there and then we finally met at a physical retreat and it was almost like i've seen these people i know them there was nothing special except the the initial buzz of like wow i'm actually seeing you in flesh and blood and touch you the thing is you with none of us here except you are i don't know who you are maybe you are one of the apostles none of us here has seen jesus physically with anybody, let me be sure because I don't want to make a blanket statement. You've seen Jesus, Jesus has entered your room, sat down with you, ate your rice. Hey, Adinka, that's please come and to touch me. <laughs> ah, come and to touch me. I need I need that impartation. Um, I know that there are people that have mentioned that they've seen Jesus before, um, for example, Kenneth Hagin, um, some of those people, but the reality is when they say those things, those are visions. So it's not like Jesus physically walked into the room. It was a vision that felt super real of Jesus being there. So because the Bible is very clear, Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. He is not physically on the earth right now. He's alive. He's a man. All right. But he's not someone you can easily just touch here on the earth because he has ascended if that means anything to you, it must mean something. He he went physically up. So because we haven't seen him physically, it's not enough reason to say I cannot know him deeply. Because I just gave you an example, right? You can know someone so deeply that when you finally see him, like when you finally see Jesus on the last day, you imagine if you've just grown in so much knowledge and depth. Like I just know Jesus so much. I know his story. I know his life. I know his work. That when you see him, you're like, this is not a stranger to me. And that's where God wants to take us. That's what Paul is saying. He says, my goal is to know him. This word know is not just scientific knowledge. It's to have a deep knowledge of him. And then he says, to know the power of his resurrection, meaning something must happen in my life to prove that the work of Jesus was efficacious. That's what Paul is saying, that I want to know him. And I want him. To, I want the power of his resurrection to be known in my life as well. And then he doesn't stop there. He says what? And the fellowship of his sufferings, because here's the picture. Jesus suffered greatly, and we're going to see some of those things when we discuss his story, his life during this month. But like he suffered greatly, very, very greatly. And he mentioned something to his disciples. He said. Because you follow me and you are my disciples, you will experience the things I've experienced. He says, in this world, you will suffer tribulation. And he says, for my sake. So Paul understands that, yes, I know him. I want to know his power and his glory, his resurrection, all the great stuff. But I cannot really know the great stuff without really fellowshipping or participating or experiencing similar suffering that Jesus suffered some of you are like what i'm what are we talking about like am i are you saying we should have, live a life of suffering no but i'm talking of what did jesus come to do he came to bring life to the world right to save sinners what are we as christians called to do do you realize it's the same thing we are called to live for him and to save sinners now we're not the ones saving but we are preaching the message of salvation guess what the master that sent us was killed. Why do we think we'll be, as, you know, exempt from similar experiences? Like, that's what Jesus was saying. I will suffer because people hate me. They are workers of evil, so they hate me. And they will hate you too because it's the same message I'm delivering that you will deliver. But Paul is saying, for you to really know someone you Have to be in their high moments and in their low moments. If I see you when you're always with makeup, I'm not your best friend. I I can be I can promise you, right? Because if all I see is you in makeup, that means I've never seen you on your bad days, I've never seen you on your bad hair days, then you can't. There's no way you can't say I'm your best friend, and that's the same thing. If all you are seeing or experiencing of Jesus. Or the knowledge you have of Jesus is just high level. Like, oh yeah, Jesus was born, Jesus is you know a great guy that died for my sins. That's not enough. God is calling you to more. He's saying, Come, know me, fellowship with me. So, the whole point I'm saying, the point I'm making here is that learning about Jesus is the crux of the Christian faith. Everything else doesn't, everything pales in comparison. Like at the end of the day. Think about what it would be like when you finally see him. Your job will not count. The number of friends you've made will not count. That nice shoe that you bought in Marshalls or whatever store you went to, don't count. What will count is, what did you do with Jesus? Like, just think about that for a moment. A lot of you are investing many years of your life into education. That's beautiful. It's great. It's an amazing privilege god has given to you right not everyone can experience that whole level of knowledge that you will come to at the end of your studies but you will not need that knowledge in heaven (laughs) that's the weird thing like that's something that must always be at the back of your mind that everything you are learning is for here and at the end of the day you're going to stand before jesus christ it's real it's not a concept that we made up there is going to be a day you will stand before Jesus and he will ask you, what did you do with the knowledge you had of me? What did you do with it? So your knowledge of Jesus is very important, but then we are taking a step further today because not only is your knowledge of Jesus important, your knowledge of the humanity of Jesus is important. All right, pay attention to what I just said. Your knowledge of the humanity of Jesus is important. Let me do a quick recap. How many of you were here last week? All right, so last week we started a series. We called it the Chronicles of the Lion and the Lamb. And the whole idea was to talk about Jesus and how he has been depicted in scriptures. But we really want to know him. So, if we want to know someone that is not with us, how many ways can we know him? Just think about it generally. We can read about him, right? We can ask people about him, people that work with him, we can ask. What else can we do? If we have other media, we can use that. So, if, if he wrote something, we can read what he wrote, right? That's how people get to know stories now. Have you watched like movies made out of biographies exactly so that's kind of like how it happens but the problem is okay this jesus is not dead he's alive he lives but he left us with a great cloud of witnesses he left us with a lot of things that we can use to know him intimately now ultimately we have the holy spirit so the holy spirit testifies of jesus it makes what we know about jesus concrete and real and supernatural that's what the holy spirit does someone that doesn't have the holy spirit can have a doctorate degree in jesus christ knowledge like he can literally have all like oh tell me anything you want to know about jesus and he tells you oh also soothed in his life he said this right that's scholarly knowledge but what the holy spirit does in the life of a believer is to testify to the work of christ to make jesus real the Jesus that you cannot see right now or touch right now, he brings him to reality. Let me show you a text that a text that keeps blowing my mind. Um, first Peter, and I also want to go there. First Peter chapter one from verse um eight. And I've read it a lot of times here. Let me see. I'm not, I'm not sharing my screen. Okay. All right, first Peter chapter one from verse eight to verse nine. Let me read it for us. This is Peter talking to believers, right? He started writing, talking to them, said they are strangers scattered abroad. Then he comes here and says, you love him. Who is him? Jesus. Though you have not seen him, and though not seeing him now, you believe in him. So Peter is very, very aware that these people had not seen him. Peter himself had seen him. He started the letter by, you know, describing his own experience. So he was there. John was also there. They saw Jesus. They held him. They felt him. But he says, you guys that we thought about Jesus, you didn't see him. Jesus has ascended. But you did not see him yet. You believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. That is not normal. That's not normal that is supernatural the fact that you can know someone that you have not seen and rejoice as if you've seen that person only the spirit can do that work he says because you are receiving the goal of your faith so it is a journey of faith from first to last you hear about jesus you say he lived a life perfect and blameless before god he died shed his blood for your sake, and then he was raised back to life. So now you have to believe this whole story because you were not there. They have to communicate it to you that he died, he was raised from the dead, and now he has ascended to heaven, and now he has given gifts to men. So you have to hear that and believe it. And Peter is saying these people heard it, and they believed it, and the proof of that belief was joy because, oh, it is true, he really rose from the dead. they respond with glorious joy and he says because you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls he's saying that the end result of putting your faith and trust and confidence in christ is that you will finally receive salvation and when i say finally receive salvation i'm sure in bmg if you've been here for a while you know what i mean receiving salvation is one thing that has three stages um when you believe the gospel, the Bible says you have been passed from death to life. So right now, you have eternal life. Right now, as you are speak, as I am speaking to you, you have the life that God gives to you. You are already seen in God's presence as righteous, blameless, holy, regardless of what you do or have done. That's the blessing of believing in Jesus. So that's the first stage of salvation. You receive it by faith and God grants you eternal life. The second stage, I've talked about this a lot, but I always want to repeat it. The second stage is what happens after. And it was typified in, just like in the Old Testament, right? God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. That's deliverance, salvation. Where did they go out of Egypt to? To the land of Canaan, ultimately, right? But how did they get there? Through the Red Sea. How many of you know that story? They went through the Red Sea. That Red Sea symbolizes baptism. All of that was a story of what Jesus would do, by the way. And we've done a lot of teachings on this. They went through the water. They came out unscathed. Nothing happened to them. And then they have to be in the wilderness. When they got to the land, God himself gave Moses instructions on how they ought to live. So God starts first, first by delivering them. He doesn't say, live this way, then I'll deliver you. He delivers them. And then when he does that, he says, okay, here's how I want you to live. And that's exactly what God does with the believer. So you hear the gospel, you believe it, God sets you free without having to do anything, right? In a sense, symbolically baptizes you into a new life in Christ. Now you're in Christ. God wants to work his promises in you want all the things he has promised to do he wants to do it practically and vitally so what does he do he starts working in you by the holy spirit so the holy spirit prunes you brings about fruit in your life so you start seeing a transformation that process of sanctification is also salvation all right it's a sense of being saved from sin and saved from the effects as well all right Then there's the final salvation, which is what we are all looking forward to. Because right now we are saved, but we are not saved. Who gets what I'm saying? Like you are still here. There's still that ongoing battle of sin in your lives that you have to keep fighting every day by the help of the spirit. You're also in a situation where tomorrow you can wake up and have a bad headache. That's not complete salvation, is it? Because that was not the situation of adam and eve adam and eve had a beautiful life before they sinned so god's ultimate plan is to redeem us ultimately it's like when you have gone through this now this is the life you should have and so while he has saved us when we put our faith in him and he is now in the process of saving us by reforming our minds helping us to see him and and become and be conformed to the image of jesus there is the final one that jesus will accomplish when he returns, which is we'll have a, an experience of a new heaven and a new earth. That's that's the culmination of the salvation plan. Did I get you guys? Did you guys understand everything I just said? Uh, feedback, anybody? All right, so...
0: Yes, yes. Re-
2: good. So this is, this is crucial to understand. And I just wanted to say on all that to let you see that First um, Peter one from verse eight to nine is Peter telling these people you've not seen Jesus but you believe in him so much that it res- you-, you respond with joy and that it that joy wells up even to you know realizing or knowing and being confident in what is coming next which is the salvation of your souls on the day of Christ. All right, so we have that as a foundation. We have that as a very very important foundation. But what we do know which was what we started with last week, was this Jesus we are talking about is actually God. And I've said this before, but when you look at anything or you have any idea or any idea is thrown towards you, there is a reaction you should have or a response you should have as a believer. The response is, what does God's word say about it? So when you hear a thought or an idea, you must always test it with the word of God. Now, we broke down last week the fact that Jesus is, in fact, God, and that he's not just a messenger or a prophet or someone who is just higher than everyone else, but he is God incarnate, so he's God that took on flesh, and we established that. So, if you were in here last week, go listen to that teaching. It was done by my friend. Excellent apologetic work of proving, you know, the deity of Christ—that Jesus actually was God—and there was enough evidence. Like you can go through all those points, and you realize you come to a, a conclusion that Jesus was actually God. But what the difficult thing we have to do, which shouldn't be difficult in the new sense. But we have to do that today, is to talk about Jesus as being fully man. So there's a doctrine of what is called the incarnation, or better yet, the something called the hypostatic union. So if you're writing things down, you can write this down or just pay attention. And I'm trying to avoid theological terms because that's, so that, is, that can just take us the wrong direction. So when we say the hypostatic union, what does that mean? Let me even ask. You guys have been on BMG for a while. Who knows what hypostatic union is when you hear that term? Who wants to help? What is hypostatic or the hypostatic union?
3: Hmm. Everybody's forming taking notes now. Like, okay, let me go. um Like the combination of Jesus, um humanity, and divinity.
2: Okay. The, the way he said he said the combination of. Give me another word so that people don't.
3: Um,
2: Mo, you want to try? Like, Hi, Mo. Union. But... No, Victoria, you're correct. It's just that word. Like when you say combination, I'm thinking. I have pot and I'm mixing jollof rice with, you know, <laughs> so how so that's really, the words are important. Mo, go ahead. I see your hand. So I already said hypostatic union. So union is not helping us. <laughs> Mo, I'm waiting for you. You're muted.
3: Sorry, can you
1: do what you said?
2: Ah, okay. I said, what is the hypostatic union? What does that mean?
1: Like what Victoria said, I think it's just three in one, right? Um God, God is God is three in one, right? Trinity, the Holy God, the flesh, not God the flesh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all in one body, right? Mm -hmm. Some people say like water, like water, (laughs) ice and gas, but then. I don't really blame them because the Holy Spirit is the spirit, right? Like yes. that. <laughs> But like that's just an analogy. So yeah, that's what I think it is.
2: Yeah, that's that's right. So it's so um what Victoria was saying, in essence, by extension, is that um different things are combined together. So she uses the word combined. <clears throat> Sorry, but it's really the idea in Christology, right? It's a it's a theological term to describe the union of Christ's humanity, all right, and his divinity in one person. Like the fact that God can be fully, that Jesus himself can be fully God and fully man at the same time. It's a it's a mystery. And, 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 and I think when you've been to church for a long time, you feel like, you know, I've heard this thing, I know this thing. How many of you just feel very comfortable, like because you've probably grown up in church, so you've heard, you know, the you've heard the word Trinity, you just accept it, or you've just heard you just had a lot of things that you've really never sat down to say, wait, why do I believe this thing? And and I think we need to be able to, you know, break it down such that we can have the right information for ourselves, because what will happen is. You might think you just know these things now, and that they are not relevant or they are not important until you meet somebody that is teaching you rubbish, and that's when you realize. Because I remember it was some days back. I mentioned it the last time I spoke that I went with um, a friend of mine, actually a few friends of mine, to a store, and in that store we met a guy um, from the World Mission Society Church of God, and he just approached me and literally was like, "Hey." Um, do you have a moment? I want to talk to you and introduce you to invite you to a Bible study. I was like, okay, what is the Bible study about? And then this guy was hesitating, but eventually just told me, you know, I am, um, I believe in um, that God has restored the way for people to be saved. I said, okay, what's that? Is that the gospel? He says, uh, yeah, it's the gospel, but that um, the gospel really is that we should partake in the Passover. Mm-hmm. And so here's, the, here's why I'm bringing this story. If I, did not, if I wasn't trained, if I didn't even know what the Passover is or what it signifies, I would be listening to this guy and he would be quoting scriptures. Be, he was reading his Bible. He was already about to open scriptures. He would just be quoting left, right, center, up, down. And I would just be looking. i will be like, hmm, you have a point. That's deep. You know, and before you know it, I'm going around teaching people in order to be saved, you have to partake in the Passover. That is that's heresy but it can come so easily because you can respond to falsehood if you are not training what is true it's so important that you have a very strong basis a strong foundation which is why we're doing what we're doing today are talking about this so the hypostatic union is the idea that god right um the son or i should say it this way jesus christ was and is fully god and was and is fully man it's the impossibility okay you just check their website victoria check their website they believe in god the father and god the mother according to the bible so (laughs) i can even add god the uncle according to the bible like where, where do you stop weird stuff guys and i'm sure some of you have met people like this but when it comes to doctrine you need to have a strong persuasion of the truth. So what we are trying to look at now, we've established God, Jesus as God, but let's look at Jesus as a man. Like, what does it mean? What, what does it mean for Jesus to actually be a man? Because I think it's easy to just say, yeah, it was a man, obviously, what walked the earth. But to what extent was Jesus a man? That's really where we are going with this conversation. So I want you guys to, you know, um, bring some input at some point when I open the floor because I want us to have this conversation. You know, did Jesus have his diaper changed? I mean, we've established that Jesus was God, like he 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 came from heaven. This is the the God that angels sing night and day, worthy and worthy is the Lamb that was slain, holy, holy, holy. That's what they sing to this God, and this God. Somehow, is crying and pooping and <coughs> sweating and probably even stinking. Like, it, it, what's the extent? Is it that he just had this holy deodorant that's you know just kept him in the Galileans under the Galilean sun? Nothing af- like some of us don't. Some of us have this idea of Jesus that also, that affects us, and you might be wondering, like, why is this a problem? There are some things the Bible says Jesus did, or things that Jesus said, or that Jesus represents, that if you don't understand the humanity of Jesus, you will never think God understands you. You know, it's easy to think of God as being just so far up there, untouchable, so powerful, because he is, truly he is. But when you think of God that way and you forget that he actually in time past came on the earth, experienced the humanity, experienced humanity to its lowest form so that he can say, I've been where you've been. That's, that's deep and that's powerful. So that's what we want to investigate. But three things. Why is it important that we understand the humanity of Jesus? Why is it core? First point because it protects us from falsehood all right let me show you a scripture so the first point is it protects us from falsehood second john that chapter of the bible that you've never opened in your life <laughs> second john chapter one i also want someone to read from chap from verse seven for me second john chapter 1 from verse 7.
3: So, who's going to read? Okay, I can read. Mm -hmm. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist.
2: Victoria, what does this scripture mean?
3: Yeah, you just put me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> That's the <BNG, I'm> <laughs> end. Okay. Um, it's just saying that like um, the deceiver, what like what you're going to, how you're going to know like the deceiver or the antichrist that um was prophesied that will come is they will deny the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Yeah, what does that mean? Coming? the son of man in the flesh
2: what does that mean you're just saying the same thing i really wanted to help us okay
3: okay just basically saying that um understanding that jesus christ who is god came actually came and lived among us in the flesh is very very crucial so that's
2: good that's good so what you are saying in essence let me be sure i'm not misquoting you is that people who don't believe in the incarnation that God took a body is a deceiver and an antichrist. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes, you should be bold. You're correct. You're very correct. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this is so important. I I really wanted you to see this because if John wrote a whole letter to address this issue, which on the surface just looks like, okay, uh, who would doubt that Jesus came in the flesh? Like, what is that? But it was a big deal. He says, they do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. So what do they mean? When they say Jesus Christ, don't miss the point. Jesus Christ actually means Jesus Christus, but ultimately also means the Messiah, the promised one. All right? The promised one, the one God anointed. So when he says, many deceivers have gone out into the world, they do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. He's basically saying they do not agree that's a word um, confess that's um to to agree with the coming the advent of jesus christ that's the messiah god's promised one in the flesh so it is two issues here some people are teaching that jesus has not yet come which is what the jews believe extensively but then there's another level of deceit on top of this which is God is not going to take on flesh so that's the problem here so he's saying stay away from people who teach this. in fact to show you how bad it is, it is he says watch yourselves that you do not lose the what we have worked for but you may receive a full reward so in a sense you can lose some of your rewards is a weird idea to think but this is an apostle speaking that you can be so dissuaded and it can possibly cause you to lose a full reward. I don't know what that looks like, but it's there in scripture. And then it says, anyone who does not remain in the teaching about Christ. So which teaching about Christ is he referring to? The incarnation, right? The, the taking on of flesh of God. God took on flesh. God became a man. He says, anyone who does not remain in that teaching, but goes beyond it or breaks or changes it, to something else he says it does not have God <laughs> he says it does not have God the one who remains in that teaching has the father and the son an implication here is notice how he says he has the father and the son because you must recognize the father and you must recognize his son and by recognizing his son you're also recognizing his incarnation I hope I'm not losing you very important to get this then he ends with this And I don't know anybody who has done this, but it's something you should add to your lifestyle. If anyone comes to you (laughs) and does not bring this teaching, exactly, Jessica is on point. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. And don't even say welcome. Like, don't even say hi. If they don't believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, there's no hospitality. No, zero. For the one who says, welcome, he says you are sharing with the evil works. Because that's just to show you how heavy your understanding of Christ in the body is. Ah, it's so, it's so important. And so you might not know of value or put the right value to the doctrine of the incarnation. But it's so important. That's what I'm trying to show you. That if God did not take on flesh, problem, serious problem, wahala. With, with the EUX at the end. That's how bad it is. All right. See, he says, and it's exactly what Jessica is saying. It's like believing God, but not believing in the Son is a half-truth. In fact, half-truth is no truth. Do you realize that? If you are going to know the truth, you must know the full truth. When Jesus was telling the, the, um, the Pharisees, he says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Jesus was basically saying, you will know the whole truth. He was not just saying, oh, you know one thing here, one thing there. Because the Jews knew God. They knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they lacked the knowledge of God. That to to really access God, you must go through his son. So Jesus says on one occasion, he says, you guys, you search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. But they are they which speak of me. I think i just quoted um john 5 37 or something there about or oh, john let me be sure because this is bible study i want you guys to see all the scriptures um john 5 39 very close all right see the scripture it says you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them yet they testify about me he said all the scriptures you have studied is me he's talking about everything my coming to this world my life in this world all the way to my death suffering and resurrection it's all there in the scriptures but you've been studying it and you didn't see me there so you can have all the knowledge in the world and still be very very ignorant so it's the right knowledge that matters which is why the humanity of jesus is such an important topic so let me answer the question in chat real quick what is the implication for of this for people who believe in the gospel but don't believe that Jesus is God? It has been a huge debate victoria a huge debate in fact, last year some one celebrity came out um and spoke i mean she she came to christ she she was, she has been a believer, but she was in the whole like Hollywood scene she came out for a while and then she started talking about things she was learning about God, and one of the things she came out with was she took a unitarian view of god in what she was basically saying is um jesus is not god and that jesus is just um i mean she didn't go as low as saying he was a prophet but she basically took away the deity of christ and was using verses that jesus used where he says you know um i do only what the father tells me to do to prove that he's not god now, why would they still have to listen to the Father, you know, if they're on the same level? Something like that, and a lot of other arguments. But a lot of people now came back and said, see, we see your heart, you're going. You're getting to know who God is, and it's okay to make mistakes like this. And I think ultimately, my answer to your question, Victoria, is if she's open and she's walking through it, I think there is mercy in that regard. Like, it's not a thing of she's denouncing the divine nature of the Word of God, all right so it's a touchy subject, but it's important that you, as a believer, that understands that God was manifest in the flesh. see, the Bible must speak to us, not our feelings but all we think. first Timothy three: sixteen says there's a mystery, it's a mystery for a reason. let me show you. First Timothy three sixteen. All right, I want you guys to go there because I need you to see this for yourself. Um, from the NIV would be good. There's no other way to put this. He says, First Timothy three sixteen. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. So first thing we see is it's a mystery. So if it comes easy to you, then you're missing it already it's a mystery it's not meant to be something calculated in science. How can three be one? but in the Godhead, three is one and one is three it's a mathematics mathematics that doesn't add up in the real life in real life or in our physical realm if I have one thing and I have another thing I call I say one plus one is two but. In Christianity, we are serving one God. That is the established truth. It is one God we are serving. But this God has revealed to us through his word, which is the only source of truth, that there is the Father, there is the Son, and there is the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Let me show you a verse. Um, 1 John
3: 5. Let me see. First
2: John five, I think. Yep, I think I found it. All right, First John five seven. Can someone unmute and read this?
3: For there are three that bear record in heaven: mm-hmm. the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one.
2: Pause. So I I I I, I think this is one of the most mysterious verses in scripture <laughs> right it's it baffles our mathematical understanding but it tells us clearly that there are three that bear witness or record in heaven It says the father you know the father right then he says the word who is this word we have john right it's the same john that wrote first john 5 7 that wrote the gospel of john and what did he say in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that Word is God. Then in verse 14, it tells us that that Word actually became flesh. So we can replace the Word there with Jesus, because that's what it was trying to establish. So there are three that bear witness. The Father, Jesus the Son, or also known as the Word, and the Holy Ghost, And he says and these three are one so as a bible believer because you can't believe in god and not believe in his word so you you get to a point where you're like see eh, i get it's complicated but i'm going to submit myself to this this truth the truth that there is the father who saw our need of salvation and realized that the only one that can pay for this probably the sins of man has to be another man because it will not make sense like if (laughs) let me give you a picture i think this will help you very much um were you ever like flooded in school anyway like did you like go to like secondary primary school secondary school did they like beat you with kin yes okay okay now let's say I know there were some guys that probably liked you and, you know, they were like, ah, no, 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 no.
3: <laughs> oh, teacher, <yeah.
2: laughs> no, beat me instead. I can chest skin or something like that. So maybe there were those guys who really liked you and they just came and they chest came for you. Now that's, that is a,
3: you
2: might, you might say it doesn't really, you know, apply, but I'm trying to make an example here. So they come and they take care for you and you go scot-free. That is okay. Like to me, if I hear that, I'm like, oh, such a nice guy. He really likes you. But if, <laughs> if I now go and get a goat, and I say, teacher, flog this goat,
3: <laughs> the
2: problem is this. First of all, the goat is not at your level. Yeah.
3: Exactly. So there's already
2: a problem, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Good. So think about it. God wants to forgive your sin. But he also wants to punish sin. Mm. Because he's just, he's holy. Yeah, he cannot... I mean, if you see a rapist everybody here in their right mind should want something bad to happen to that rapist it's not it's a god-given feeling don't think you're bad you hate sin it's wrong Mm -hmm. right god is just but god is also merciful because he loves pelumi and he loves praise and he loves salt and he loves everyone here so he has to the problem is that he has to be just and merciful but he cannot go and bring a goat which was what he was using as a symbol in the old testament so it was like someone is coming no but i want you to understand that atonement is necessary so killing go- bulls and goats and cows and then hebrews tells us it, those things were not accepted by god it was just a symbol and a type then god figures out or let, i'm just it's using what like figures as like god is just figuring out but just get the point so he realizes that someone has to bear the punishment of pelumi but that person has to be equal to pelumi and must also be guiltless. Yeah. Because if Jack or, is he, what was your boyfriend's name in, in secondary school? Who did you like?
3: <laughs>
2: if that person decided to come and replace you, you know, and for some reason, he also was a noisemaker or a Kim lead, it's both of you that are going to flog, <laughs> right? So, because you are both guilty. So, God has to put someone in your stead that is human but faultless. But that's not possible because all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So in God's infinite wisdom, he has to take on flesh. Like he literally has to be the, is the only perfect one and then he has to take a form that he can legally deal with. And that's where we see the work and the, the work of Jesus and why he had to be a man, a human being, because if he was less than a human being, he would be too low for the, for the requirements of God's standard. And then if he was not a human being, maybe an angel, he would also be too high and he would not be, you know, at the same level. So that's why it's, it's a mystery, but God does it that way in his wisdom and shows his love through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So um, I hope that helped clear up things though, because it's it's super important to understand the implications of that. So the implication of saying Jesus did not come in the flesh, it repudiates everything. It It just means God is not just. In fact, that's my second point. Your knowledge of the humanity of Jesus is important first of all, I said it protects you from falsehood, right? The second reason is it makes him it makes Jesus the legal representative and propitiation for us. That's what I just explained mm-hmm. right now in that example. Alright, are you still following? Mm-hmm. Feedback. Yes, right. I said it makes Jesus the legal representative and propitiation for us. What do I mean by that? Legal representative. Jessica, you, you studied law, so this is not new to you. Um, the idea is somebody has to meet God's legal standard. And like I just described, it has to be someone that also is in the same level of the crime. Or someone who had who could possibly commit that crime if pos if, if, um, if allowed to, but did not, right? So only someone who is has a clean slate can represent someone who has a crime, and they all have to be at the same level. So he's the legal representative, right, before God, but also the the legal propitiation, meaning the the, the sacrifice, the atonement, the um the replacement per se all right and there are many verses that prove that let me just show you a few because of time um first timothy chapter two from verse five it says for there is one god so a christian believes in one god don't go out there saying um if they say how many uh, how many gods do you believe in and you say i believe in the trinity there are three gods You're not understanding the doctrine of the Bible. The Bible teaches there is one God, all right? It is one God. How it works, a lot of theologians are trying to resolve it, which is what made them them come up with the doctrine of the Trinity. You don't see the word Trinity in the Bible because it wasn't there. But the idea is very clear. So someone has to bring all those ideas and make a name that makes it for everyone to understand. So the Bible says, for there is one God, and one mediator between God and men. What does he say after? The man Christ Jesus. Keyword, the man. It's big, oh! So there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. So it makes it clear that Jesus was a man we've established jesus was god but jesus was also a man and these two things are not caught and they're not lost on paul because paul is the one that said both of them so it's a a reality that we have to to grasp and then uh, romans 3 talks about how it's played out right but that's something we'll discuss next week now one thing i want to really discuss now because and the time is running now but one thing i really want to discuss is the why why was blood necessary to be shed like who has an idea because that's another question like okay i get you ernest uh you know mm. you like what you're seeing right you just stood up to check something i know what you're looking at anyhow okay let's come back i was like well, no word of knowledge are we here are you guys still here
3: the question the question asking. awesome Um,
2: so does anyone want to answer that question or try like blood was required jesus had to shed his blood who can tell me why i mean it may not be extensive enough but why is why do you think that is um important why didn't god just i think i've answered this question in prior teachings but why didn't god just say oh people are so cute don't worry i can just wipe everything away you know why didn't why did he have to do it the way uh why did he have to do it with jesus i think i already answered this question he said the blood of bulls were not enough so there has to be a sacrifice i mean i get that but it's still the question of why blood why blood? Why do we talk about blood? What is the significance of blood in the Bible? Is God a blood hungry? You know, you know. Some people have the idea that it's just a, it's just a, you know, there's a vampire, in just trying to get blood to, to be happy or something. No, that's, I've heard some people say weird stuff. Okay, you guys are getting close. So Truma says blood signifies life. Very, very powerful, and that's really the answer. So, let me show you a text from the Old Testament that really helps us understand why things are the way they are. So, Leviticus chapter 17. All right, we're going to read from verse, verse 10. Now, I've we've thought about this, and I think it was important that we did this in Biblia, the series of Biblia, where we talked about types and shadows. All right, but I think by extension. You should know now that everything that was written in the Old Testament had a purpose. Many things actually had a purpose in pointing to the um, work that Jesus would do and why and how we would accomplish it. So if you look at Leviticus chapter 17 from verse 10, it says... Let me read this real quick. It says, "And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, talking to the Israelites, or of the strangers that sojourn among you that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and will cut him off from a, a law among his people." So it just, basically, it's just saying, "Don't eat blood. Anything that has blood in it, don't eat it." So you are supposed to like cook it well. But why? Why is it so important? Why is why, why is that a law? Verse 11 this is this is the mystery here it says for the life of the flesh is in the blood oh so what gives a thing life according to scripture is the blood in it so he says stay away from this not because there's any problem in itself with eating blood or you know maybe some people can be scared from this they are eating and maybe they went to like a steak place and then you know they got medium rare that has that still has blood inside So people know that you cook the meat the blood is still inside like ah oh my god this is wrong now first of all we're not under that israelite law and i think by extension for those of you in medical field you i know there's some things where they tell you like it's it's not safe to eat um anything that has blood in it like there's health implications of that but There's a spiritual significance. It's like don't eat blood because blood is it represents life. So it says the life of a thing is in its blood, and I'm giving it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. Then look at the last part. It says, For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. So this Mm -hmm. is God giving them clear teaching, a very clear teaching about the, the nature of the atonement that for the, the sin problem to be dealt with, blood has to be shed. Why must blood be shed? Because the wages of sin is death. What is death? Ending of one's life. Right? What is the, what, what represents life? We just read it. The life of a thing is in the blood. So I just answered the question that someone might have had, like, why is there a blood sacrifice required and all of that? Why did Jesus have to shed his blood? Why is the blood of Jesus an important thing? In fact, Hebrew, and I think this is a such a um great reference from um Chimera, Um, Let me put that scripture up. It's really a good thing. Hebrews 9, um, verse 22. I think we can almost start from this 2021. 20, let me check this. All right, verse 20. So the writer of Hebrews was talking about the law and explaining it. Actually, verse 19. All right, stay with me, guys. If I'm too fast, I'm so sorry. I'm assuming that many of us would know some of these things, but I shouldn't. Um, Let's read this. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats, with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book and all the people is under the law. And this is what he said. This is the blood of the Testament with, with which God has enjoined to you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. So he's saying that there was blood sprinkling. You guys should imagine this sprinkling of blood is a very nasty thing. <laughs> Like it's it's I don't know whether you've um you know sanitized it in your mind, but like just I don't know if you've seen blood sprinkled before. Um, and then he says in verse twenty two, "And almost all things are by law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission." In other words, without blood being shed, there is no forgiveness. Aha! So if God is going to forgive legally, blood has to be shed. I've discussed this before that people that just come and say God. ask for forgiveness okay there has to be shedding of blood so god doesn't just forgive you based on how nicely you ask there must be a blood sacrifice that you've accepted you know so that's why it is so important um so let's move on real quick (sighs) thank you lord jesus and then also the humanity of jesus is so important like i described before because jesus had to be under the law the law of god and fulfill the law of god and also the law of humanity which means he had to die so let me show you let me show you this real quick galatians chapter four from verse four to five are you learning anything All right galatians 4 from verse 4 to 5 but when the completion of the time came god sent his son born of a woman so he says when the completion of time came god sent his son and notice he says born of a woman who is that woman mary that's where we got the title by the way because mary had a little lamb is a common um nozurem. by the way it's another side thought. I think today I've just gone on a lot of side trails, but I think it's okay to do that. Um, <laughs> Mary had a little lamb. By the way, um, nursery rhymes, generally speaking, most of them have a very dark side to them. It's just off topic. But like, you know, I don't know how we just got used to having, how they just allowed us to sing some of those songs. Because when you break some of those nursery rhymes down, and look at their history, you'd be like, oh, my God. Like, there's this song, um, Baba, Blackship. Have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags, full. one for the master. Well, like, this is this slavery right there. <laughs> this is slavery, talking about a black, well, I don't want to go into that, but a lot of those themes, yeah, exactly, most of the dark themes are either taken out or Disney, that's so true. Daniel will Daniel know more about this than I would. Um, but yeah, I just said that for no reason. So don't take that as part of the teaching. I just, it's something I, I learned and I was like, wow, a lot of dark themes there. But then Mary had a little lamb is a very common one, right? Mary had a little lamb, little lamb. There's many verses to that one. Um, and, and the lamb was white as snow. And I was just thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, Mary did have a little lamb. Mary did have a little lamb um and that lamb was jesus and he was white as snow amen to that somebody like when i say white i'm talking about pure spotless blameless he was the only propitiation that would stand in for us like he did nothing wrong there was no guile found found in his mouth he obeyed the law to the letter that's what we're reading he was born of a woman but he was born under the law to redeem those under the law. So Jesus had to also perfectly fulfill the law. So Jesus didn't just have to become a human being, born of a woman, in the most vulnerable state possible, but he also had to obey the law perfectly as as to please God. That That is powerful. And he says, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because the reality is, There's no way we can be brought into God's family if he doesn't adopt us. (laughs) Like how? It's an adoption, a supernatural baptism into his family, right? So when the completion of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, very important. That's why it keeps coming up everywhere. Jesus was a human being. He walked the earth, all right? Not only did he walk the earth, he experienced a full life and you need to realize that jesus god had to become a man because one thing if you did not know one thing that god cannot do is die (laughs) right and then there's this song what god cannot do does not exist and all of that stuff but one thing god cannot do as god who is the source of all life is die god cannot die but god will have to die because the punishment for sin is death. That's where Jesus comes in. So God becomes a man, a human being. But to what extent was that? There's just a few more points I want to bring up here. Jesus was prophesied to come as a child. Isaiah, right? We know Isaiah chapter 4, from verse, uh, 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, a virgin will conceive and have a what? Son. You guys may not see the importance of this thing I'm teaching now, but I promise you, somebody will reach out to me and say, Ah, Ernest, I met somebody <laughs> that was telling me that oh no, Jesus did not is a is a fable. Some people tell you that oh Jesus is just a a a concept, right? That's already a concept, it's not real, and that it really never existed. There are different views on this, but it's so important that you get that Jesus did become a man, so it was prophesied right? We just read that you have a son that and named him Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 9 from verse 6, you know, you know that one already. A child will be born to us. A son will be given prophecies about Jesus and the fact that he will come as a child.
3: Then
2: Jesus as a baby, Jesus was there. Simon, one oh no, of Simeon, sorry. Was a prophet and said God allowed me to see the day that the Messiah would be born, and then he says something in Luke chapter two, twenty-five that Simeon he was a righteous man, you know, and the Holy Spirit was on him, and it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would see the Lord's Messiah. That means he would see Jesus Christ, the one God has chosen. He says, guided by the Spirit. He entered the temple complex. And then he prayed to the Lord. He says, now, master, you can dismiss your slave in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all the peoples in light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. And then the father and mother were amazed by what he said. So Jesus really existed as a baby. And you remember the story of the the shepherds that, you know, heard about it they came to worship him as a baby so jesus was prophesied jesus was a baby jesus was also a young boy right jesus went to the temple remember when he was 12 years old and he was there and very smart the bible says he waxed strong and grew in favor with god and with man so he was a real boy if there was soccer at that time very likely he was playing with other children like, he was a real boy. Jesus lived a life that all of us have lived at some point. But he was without sin. That's super important to understand. And then some people have this question. This is where I round up. Where did Jesus, What was where was Jesus between the ages of 12 and 30? Have you ever had that question? Because the Bible just kind of jumps. Like, okay, he was 12 in the temple. And then he goes with his parents. Next thing we know, is he's thirty and he's ready to be tempted, <laughs> right? What was happening between twelve and thirty? Who can tell me? Quick guesses. Some people say preparation. Okay, Moses.
3: Growing up.
2: Growing up, yeah, he was waiting for his time. Okay, and I think it's a combination of all those things. So Jesus, by the way was being trained um the bible is very clear that he you know the bible tells us when he was doing his ministry he said he went to the synagogue as his custom was and read from the scroll so it's something he had been doing it's not when he was just 30 that he decided to start going and people recognize him as a rabbi all right so you don't just become a rabbi historically as a jew all of a sudden you just appear and you're 30 years old and you're a rabbi no like you've been, it's like PhD, you have been, you have been studying and, you know, it is even almost uh, very, you know, it's very, this might shock some of you, but I think, I think, and maybe we can have that conversation next week because we're not done with this. We'll continue it in the teaching next week with Treasure. Um, But it's, it's still a very, very interesting thought to have that maybe Jesus discovered <laughs> this is very very I have to be careful saying this Jesus saw things in scripture concerning himself um, because he, he was a think about it this was God but he was a man and what that means is you will learn Jesus grew in knowledge so Jesus didn't always know everything so it's the idea that Jesus at a point had to read and see the scriptures concerning himself and realize this is who he is and have a parent or parents that told him everything that happened. Some of you don't realize that these things could have happened, but this is such a conversation to have. Um, there's a question in the chat. Olai said, said, um, exactly Victoria. So do you think it would be right to say the death of Jesus was to honor the law of Moses? Rather, God was just looking to unleash his wrath. Um, so before the law of Moses, there was still the reality of sin which is what um romans teaches extensively so sin still will be punished even um outside of the law of moses because it said when the law written in your heart so there was already the law written in the heart of all of god's creation there's a standard of god that is known but then people suppress that knowledge so god ultimately was still going to pour out his wrath against all sin regardless of law of moses the law of moses only came for a time to a specific group of people for a specific purpose as a constitution um so i would say that god accepted the death of jesus because of the the requirements of god's holy standard not really the law of moses the law of moses was supplementary um as a constitution to guide how the people of israel would live and kind of like show the nature of God in a way. I don't know if that helps. So it's really the wrath of God. All of creation is trying to run from or escape from. How can we escape, um, you know, um, if we neglect such great salvation? When he says, how can we escape? Hebrews 2, he's basically saying, how can we escape the wrath of God if we, if we neglect the salvation he's offering freely? Like where else would you go? God is all and in all. Where else would you go? So um, I don't know if that helps, but it's it's beyond the law is what I'm trying to say. God God is first the standard. Um, and Jesus had to meet that standard, not just the law of Moses, but God's holy law as well. Um, And then Victoria said, the Bible said he stripped off his privileges. And I was going to read that scripture, but time ran out. Philippians 2 verse 6, right? G- God, Jesus, he says, Um, let me read from the this is the last verse I'll read. All right. Um, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, Who, though he was in the form of God, this is so important. Jesus was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What does that mean? It means he saw the privilege of being God but he did not take it as something to hold on to. Instead, he let it go. So Jesus, who was fully God, had all the privileges, was equal to the Father in terms of power and, you know, ability, had to let go of, he literally put on a new form. So he let go of the form of God, took on a new form, and taking on a new form of man, also means you are taking on everything that the body limits you to. So the body limits you to having one brain, which means that you are limited in knowledge, two hands so you can't just teleport anywhere except by the spirit of God, which we saw in the ministry of Jesus that Jesus had the power of the spirit to do things that were extra normal or super normal, right? But fundamentally, without the Holy Spirit, Jesus was completely a man that could be tired, he could eat, he could be hum- hungry. He could uh, feel pain he could weep so it was completely a man uh, and it's a mystery <laughs> I, I think I'll stop here or else I'll just keep going because we're already out of time but I'll chill a little bit for like questions after we close um, but I left you with a question a cliffhanger which was to what extent was Jesus a human and What are the implications of that for us, especially when he says things like, there is no temptation that is not common to man. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus actually has been tempted in every way as we are and never fell. Is it true? Was Jesus really tempted the way we are tempted? Some of us know the depth of temptation we've been in. Did Jesus experience it or was the Bible lying? food for thought. All right, let's pray. And then we can have that conversation for those who still have some time to chill. All right. Ah, Heavenly Father, we thank you because your word is true. It is righteous. It is just, it is powerful. Sharper than every two-edged sword. It is powerful enough to divide into two parts, the joint and the marrow, the soul and the spirit. And it is a deep discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We know that your word is true. Your word has been revealed to us that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That you, God, infinite, complete, lacking nothing, eternal, decides to take on a body that can die, that can be weak, that can suffer for our sake? Is there anything else you will not be able to do for us? If God spared not his son, but freely gave him to us, how much more will he freely give us all things? That's that's what we know from your word. And so, Lord, we celebrate you. We worship you. We thank you because you are a good God. You are true to your word. And we thank you for the gift of Jesus that we can see that that eternal word became a living, breathing human for our sake. We'll never let it go without trusting in your truth, without putting our faith and throwing all our eggs in your basket because you are worthy. And so, Lord, I ask for everyone who has listened to this, that they will magnify Jesus in their hearts. They will put him at the place that he deserves, just as he was highly exalted and given a name above every name. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word. And we see the results of your spirit work in us. In the name of the Lord Jesus,
0: we have prayed. Amen. Hey there. So we've come to the end of this teaching session and we hope it was for you a teaching and an enlightening moment. We have so many other topics on our podcast that range from spiritual gifts to charisma to interpreting the Bible world well, and so many others. If you'd like to listen to any one of them, just look through our podcast catalog and find the topic that you'd love to learn. If you'd like to join us Sunday live on Mixlr or on Zoom, all you need to do is go to our website, which is bit.ly forward slash live 4 That's the number or you can look in the description and you will find the link to the website there. We hope you have a blessed week and continue to grow and progress with joy in your faith.